Good morning. I'm Wimala, and today is August the 7th. I woke up this morning to a really dark, rainy day. I think it started raining early this morning. And the birds are still out trying to get some food. But it's a very gray day outside. We need the rain, so it's good if we actually that we actually get this rain. We're lucky, right? Other places in the world are not so lucky. So today, <clears throat> I have a really giant glass of uh, cold water with me. Today I'm going to read some more from Sharon Salzberg's book, A World as Wide, A, a Heart as wide as the world. Stories on the path of loving kindness. <clears throat> Sharon Salzberg is really the uh, lay teacher who brought loving kindness to this country. That was her, that was the task that, uh, I, uh, that Deepama gave her before she left India as, a, as back as a very young woman. <clears throat> when Deepama told her to, uh, that she was coming back to America and would be teaching, she didn't believe her. <laughs> so I'm just picking some uh, kind of random spots. I'm not reading the whole book because it's really, it's a jewel. The stories are wonderful and they come together so beautifully. Uh, this is in the Spirit of Meditation chapter, which is the first chapter. So let's read and then we'll sit together. The blessing of right effort. In every moment of our existence, our potential is vast. Inherent within us is an immense possibility for awareness, courage, dedication, and love. However, many of us are conditioned to remain in a state of apparent helplessness, convinced that we cannot accomplish what we want. Our hearts shut down. We say to ourselves, I can't do that. I am not capable of that. I'm not strong enough. I don't have the ability. In time, these beliefs about ourselves solidify into an image of who we are and we become bound to the past in the ways in which we may have failed and to an inner sense of not being capable. Sadly, we basically overlook and discredit the power of our own great potential. We forget who we truly are. This is why a correct understanding of right effort is so crucial. Right effort is one part of the Buddha's Eightfold Noble Path. <clears throat> Traditionally, right effort means a courageous application of our energy toward full awareness. I've always felt that the very concept of right effort is a wonderful example of the profound insight contained in the Buddha's teachings. Right effort is an acknowledgement of the conditioned suffering that is manifest in many of our thoughts about ourselves. 
And it is a promise that by choosing to persevere in awareness, we can transform our lives. Hearing the word effort, we may think, ugh, what a burden, moment after moment, slogging it all, slogging through it all. But actually, right effort is our greatest blessing because it points to the extraordinary potential for freedom and change every one of us is capable of. My teacher Munindra said to me in a kind way early on in my practice, the Buddha's enlightenment solved the Buddha's problem. Now you solve yours. I found that to be the most inspiring statement because it implied that I could in fact solve my own problem. The teachings of the Buddha say that no one else will accomplish our freedom from suffering for us and that no one else needs to because we can actually do it ourselves. It is our own effort that brings this potential to life. Effort is the unconstrained willingness to persevere through difficulty. It is not a harsh, straining, desperate effort but rather an ardent and wholehearted remembrance of our capacity for freedom. Right effort is willingness to open where we have been closed, to come close to what we have avoided, to be patient with ourselves, and to let go of our preconceptions. When my teacher Deepa Ma first began meditating, she found that she was continually overcome by sleepiness. Talking about that time, she once said to us, when I started doing the meditation, I was crying all the time because I wanted to follow the instructions with full regard, but I couldn't because of sleepiness. Even when standing and walking, I needed to sleep. Before I had been crying for five years and I could not sleep due to sorrow, lamentation, weakness, and other suffering. But as soon as I started meditation, all I could do was sleep. When Deepa Ma went to her teacher to report her difficulty, he said to her, it is a very good sign because for the last five years, you were suffering so badly, you could not sleep. Now you are getting sleepy. So go mindfully do the meditation as instructed. Do the meditation as instructed. Deepa Ma continued to sit and to sleep. But then one day she related, all of a sudden I came to a state where my old sleepiness disappeared and none came to me even, I, even when I sat for some hours. Right effort in Deepa Ma's case meant simply not giving up. Believing in her own capacity to awaken, she was vigilant and the fruits of her practice were extraordinary. She reports how after this experience, she found herself saying to people, come to the center. You have seen how I was disheartened because of the loss of my husband and children and my disease but now you are finding me afresh and I am quite happy. There is no magic. 
simply by following the instructions the teacher gave, I got peace of mind. You also come and you'll also get peace of mind. We also can realize peace of mind, embodying right effort to simply do the practice is a declaration of our own true potential. And our potential is boundless. When we recognize this fully, effort becomes an opportunity. When we, rather than a burden and a pathway that acknowledges our wholeness, the Buddha's enlightenment solved the Buddha's problem. Now you solve yours. I like that. The Buddha's enlightenment solved the Buddha's problem. Now you solve yours. I'll read a little bit more. I like this next story. Let's see, just another page or so. Yeah. In the beginning, it is said that the Buddha spoke so simply that even a seven-year-old child could understand him. Perhaps this is why it is also said that the Buddha had a fair number of fully enlightened seven-year-old disciples. I sometimes wonder what it would have been like for me as a seven-year-old to learn to meditate. In many ways, it is hard to imagine, but I do think that I would have brought an openness of mind and eagerness to learn that would have stood me in, in, stood me in good stead years later when I finally did begin the practice. By the time I first went to sit, sit with Sayadaw Upandita, I had been practicing Buddhist meditation for 14 years. I had not yet met this Burmese meditation master, but I entered a three-month retreat under his guidance. He was a strong and demanding teacher. I often took brief notes after each period of sitting or walking meditation so that I could precisely describe my experience to him. Every day, six days a week, we saw him for private interviews. The first time I went in for an interview, I carefully described one of my meditation periods. He looked at me and said, well, in the beginning, it can be like that. And that was the extent of my interview. Each day I'd come in ready to describe for him an experience that I thought was wonderful or terrible or whatever. And no matter what I would report, he would say, well, in the beginning, it can be like that. Each time he said that, I heard a voice in my head exclaiming, 14 years, 14 years. Silently, I would retort, I've been sitting 14 years. I wouldn't call that being a beginner. Why are you calling me a beginner? I'm not a beginner. That's the voice in her head saying that. It went on like that day after day, he challenging me resentful until one day something switched in my mind. Many years before, when I was living in India, I had become quite lost in a model of practice that was very attainment-oriented. Despite my struggles, I thought I was doing pretty well. 
progressing steadily on the path to Nirvana. I had gone back to the United States for a brief visit. Suzuki Roshi's book, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, had just come out. When I saw the book title, I thought, oh, I know what that book is about. It is about how, when you start practice, you have only what's called a beginner's mind. Then you practice a while and you accrue all of these great experiences until one day you become supremely accomplished and you have what is called a Zen mind. I didn't buy the book. I thought I didn't need to. Some months later, when I was back in India, somebody sent me a copy of Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. When I finally read the book, I read, I realized that I had completely misunderstood it. It was not about transcending lowly beginner's mind and one day having a sublime and extraordinary Zen mind. If anything, it was the opposite. A revelation of practice as the movement toward fully experiencing the ordinary rather than grasping after the seemingly extraordinary. It is an ordinary mind that we find our Buddha nature when we try stopping to have something special happen. To fully be with ordinary mind without having expectations or making comparisons is beginner's mind. As Suzuki Roshi described it, the spaciousness and freedom of beginner's mind is itself the attainment. In the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. In the expert's mind, there are few. There I was years later in this practice with Upandita feeling exactly the same thing. One day I got it. I realized once again that it was good to be a beginner. Being a beginner meant having a freedom, a freshness of view, and an unguarded openness to experience. It means not being burdened by ideas and concept about what should be happening, what could be happening, what must happen next, and what I and what have I deserved to have happen. Let go letting go of concepts of position and status make the practice alive in this moment rather than stagnant. With relief, I acknowledge to myself, I am a beginner and I hope I continue to take joy in being a beginner. Of course, on the very day I came to that understanding, Upandita mysteriously stopped saying, in the beginning, it can be like that. I like her stories. I like the way she tells her stories. Uh, so a lot of freezing today, it sounds like, with people. The screen freezing, not the other kind of freezing. So why don't we sit and I'd like to just read this about loving kindness, but then let's just do a silent sit with the time we have remaining. 
and uh, you can let whatever thoughts are going through your head just try to uh, keep coming back to the present moment and you might want to use this verse on loving kindness but we'll let it be a silent sit, a silent practice. Think, happy, at rest, may all beings be happy at heart. Whatever beings there be, weak or strong, without exception, long, large, large, middling, short, subtle, gross, seen and unseen, living near and far away, born or seeking birth. May all beings be happy at heart. Let no one deceive another or despise anyone anywhere or through anger or resistance perception wish for another to suffer. Just keep coming back to your breath to stay in the present moment. Relax into your breath. And just let go of everything else, things you've left undone, things you have to do today. Just let go of all of that. Bring that peace and serenity into your present moment.
Keep coming back to the breath. Have a beginner's mind. Just come back over and over to the breath. back to the present moment. If you can, continue to sit with yourself. If you have the time and you have the inclination, your mind will be more prepared. 
We'll close our time together today by sharing merit. May everything I do and say and think today be done not only for my own benefit, but for the benefit of all other living beings. Throughout the universe, human beings, non-human beings, for all beings, may I be part of a refuge for you. Have a beautiful day, and uh, I'll see you Tuesday.